The scripture reading today is Psalms 62, 5, 8, and John 4, 17, 27. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. John eleven seventeen twenty seven. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah the Son of God, who is to come into the world. We ask God to bless these words to our hearts and minds. You know, I don't like to, to be late. I want to be right on time. And I have to admit, I get annoyed with people who are always late. Two of my closest friends are uh, were always late, and it annoys the heck out of me. I love them dearly, but for crying out loud, my husband always wanted to be at least 20 minutes early anywhere we went. I had to lie and tell him we were due at least 30 minutes after the event started so we could show up on time. Have you ever tried to get through the, the uh, line at Walgreens at 5 p.m.? I don't like waiting. And as you pull up, you see three other cars in the line, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait. How about the doctor's office? Ed and Patty, I know you spend a lot of time at doctor's offices, and I know you wait and you wait. We had a doctor that we really liked. He was wonderful. But we always had at least a two-hour wait before we got into the room, and then there might be another 45 minutes to an hour waiting for him. We finally gave up and changed doctors. While those are pretty annoying things to wait for, there's some pretty major life events that are hard to wait for God's answer for. It's hard to wait for answers with a problem with our own health or the health of someone we love. It's hard to wait for an answer to major life problems. You know, I want an answer and I want it now and I want it the way I want it. Do you ever feel that way? Sometimes I feel that because God is, isn't answering the way that I want and on my timeline, He's not answering, but that's not that's not true. I think a lot of myself, don't I? Because I'm criticizing God, because he doesn't always do things my way on my timeline. I have to admit that as my faith, faith has matured, 
I do understand that God follows a different timeline than I do. His concept of time is quite a bit different from mine. You know, when God appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, it was with the intention to tell Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a son. Now, you understand Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89. To relate to that, think of any of us in this room. I think I think we're probably all past childbearing age. How would you feel if God said, you're going to have a baby next year? Sarah laughed. And we'd laugh hysterically or cry. I'm not sure which. Think about Moses. He was 80 years old. He'd lived in exile for 40 years. When at a burning bush, he was startled by God. The dreams and hopes that he'd had 40 years prior were gone, evaporated. His people, the Israelites, had been in bondage, slaves of Egypt, for over 100 years. During this time of of bondage, a death decree had been proclaimed against the Israelites, and the results had led to the death of hundreds or maybe thousands of babies. Moses himself had been miraculously saved. Why would God come at this late hour to attempt a deliverance of his people? Is it possible that Moses' hesitancy was partially driven by his doubts about God's sense of timing? I think I can almost hear Moses mutter, God, you're too late. Where were you when I was 40? I'm 80 years old. But God was was not too late. He was processing within his time. Remember Joseph of the multicolored coat? He, He really had kind of a tough time of it. His own brother sold him into slavery. Through no fault of his own, he was put in prison. He helped a couple of guys out with the king, and they forgot their promise to him, and he languished seven more years in prison before he was rescued. But he made the most of his life, and as a result, he saved the Israelites. But God's timing set the events up for him to accomplish this. It certainly wasn't Joseph's timing. Our text today is dealing with a place, a family, and a problem. The place of our text is called Bethany, and Bethany means a house of song and a house of afflictions. I think I ought to tell you that it seems we can do well to learn a little bit of a lesson today. No matter where you are or who you are, for all of us, there's something in our lives that we've desired or dreamed about that didn't happen. All of us have probably had a dream that dies. All of us have had aspirations and desires, and sometimes we find ourselves looking at where we are and wondering, why aren't we here where we ought to be? And there's sometimes a big gap between where we are and where we feel like we should be. We should have been further than we are now. So many 40-year-olds hit that uh, time of life when they start evaluating and thinking, is this what, what it is? Because we don't understand. Friends, I think God has good news for us, and we can learn that in this story of Bethany and and Lazarus. God can show up at any time. No matter what your Bethany's are, God's able to make a difference in your life. The text talks about a place called Bethany, but it also talks about a family. One named Martha, one named Mary, and one named Lazarus. You know them. There's other stories. 
Martha was better known as the worker. Mary was the worshiper. But Lazarus is known as the one without life. You know what I'm talking about. And I think they can all teach us a little something. Martha teaches us that no matter how hard you work, work isn't everything. We've probably all heard the story of the raising of Lazarus as told in John 11. Mary and Martha, they're good friends of Jesus. But they'd watched their brother fall ill, his life force deteriorating, so they sent word to Jesus to come and help. They knew Jesus could heal Lazarus. They'd seen him heal others, so they sent word to him to come and help. What distinguishes these siblings from most of the people living in Judea in that day is that they are specifically identified as friends of Jesus of Nazareth. What endears them to us who talk of them today is that they're not merely friends with Jesus. They're actually more than friends. It tells us in the Bible that Jesus loved them. They were more like family. Now I know that Jesus loves the world enough that he gave his life for fallen mankind. But the text tells us that the love of the master was focused on Lazarus and his two sisters. They're a part of the family of God. And though we're separated by millennia from them, they share something with us that we too often take for granted. Jesus loved them just as he loves us. Now, I would have suspected that when he heard the word, when they sent word to him that Lazarus was sick, he would have taken off right away and headed there, but he didn't. It must have seemed really bizarre to the disciples. Jesus told them they'd have to go to Bethany because Lazarus was ill. And since he was so close to this family, wouldn't you have thought he'd have gone right away? But he didn't. He spent two more days where he was. What was he doing? Why didn't he take off? Turning again to the text, we don't know what illness had struck down Lazarus. Whatever it was, his life was threatened. I can imagine scores of illnesses in that time that could have threatened the life of Lazarus and whatever threatened it. I think it was both precipitous and serious. What's important for our study today is, is not to determine what killed Lazarus, but to realize that his life was threatened and the threat was real, real enough to cause his sisters to panic real enough to turn to the only source of help they could think of, their friend Jesus. The manner in which the account is reported leads me to conclude that the illness had a sudden onset and the progress of this disease was dramatic. This was not a long-term chronic illness. This illness was deadly, and it struck Lazarus down quickly. Now, after two days, Jesus told his disciples plainly that Lazarus was dead, but that they'd go so they would so that they could believe. So after two days, they headed for Judea, and they arrived four days after Lazarus dead. We read that Martha came out to meet Jesus, but Mary stayed in the house. Do you think that Mary might have been a little bit ticked at Jesus, and that's why she didn't come out? I always kind of think that's probably the situation. But Martha, the worker, she came out. Can you feel Martha's pain when she cried out to Jesus? Lord, if you'd been here, you could have helped. But you're too late. 
Can't you feel her pain? We know Jesus felt her pain. It's the shortest verse in the Bible they tell us. Jesus wept. Remember in Sunday school when you had to memorize a verse? I remember the little boys all wanted to remember this one. Jesus wept because they could. It was two words. And after he wept, he asked that the stone in front of the tomb be rolled away. Now Martha's horrified by this. We can think about it a minute. This was around 2,000 years ago. The body of the dead was wrapped in spices and in their burial cloths and put in a cave with a stone covering the door. They were not embalmed. After a year, when the body was down to bones, the bones were collected in a box. Think, too, this is a warmer part of the world. Have you ever smelled a dead animal after four days? Maybe a mouse in your wall that dies? Doesn't smell good, does it? So imagine a, a person's body after four days in a closed cave and think of what it would look like. That's what Martha was concerned about. To Martha's point of view and probably of everybody that was there, it was just, it was just too late. So anyway, Jesus told those who were standing by mourning at Lazarus' tomb to roll away the stone. Now, we know Jesus could have just commanded the stone, and it would have moved by itself. Wonder why he instructed those to move the stone instead? Maybe it was to let us know that the heavy stone of unbelief, doubt, and fear that seals us in our tomb of troubles and unbelief can only be removed by lifting our eyes toward Jesus and by trusting in his power to lift us up out of our circumstances. I believe that God wanted those who were standing near to experience the smell of death that comes from that tomb. Jesus wanted everyone there to know that it's not by the power of human flesh that resurrection and deliverance would come, but by the power of the Almighty God. There would never be a doubt that God's resurrection power was what brought Lazarus back from the dead and nothing else. The verses in, in John tells us that Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloths around his face. And Jesus had to say to the mourners, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. I imagine they were just standing staring at him. I encourage you this week to read chapter 11 in the book of John, because then you'll get the entire story. Probably the most common commonly asked questions of faith have little to do with God's existence or his providence. The most troubling question for God's people inevitably has to do with his sense of timing. Far too frequently it seems that God is late, and God's people cry out, When, O Lord? How long, O oh Lord? Why were you not here when we needed you? Why did you not come? Why are you so late? I know I've asked those questions, haven't you? Yeah, it seems that God's frequently late at this juncture, but we need to be reminded of an important truth. God may be late, but he's always on time. And how can that be? We need to remember that even when it seems home, hopeless, God is in control. 
He has the power to resurrect our life and bring deliverance and victory. It may seem that he isn't answering our prayers until all hope is gone and there seems to be no way out. But he's there and he will answer. It may not be when you expect him to answer. And he may not give you the answer you want. But God's answer has resurrection power in it. He's always on time. Armed with this truth, we can turn to an important lesson of faith. In, a, in Isaiah 40:31, it says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be wearied. They shall walk and not faint. Faith discovers its strength in the tranquility of soul that enables us to tune in to God's frequency. For it's waiting on the Lord that we can learn the lessons we most need, that we can get through whatever challenge we face, and we can be victorious because Jesus is with us. Wait on the Lord and find the strength we need. So what's a faith lesson we can turn to here? I think that if I want to learn to live by faith, I need to learn to rejoice continually, regardless of life's events. Now, I don't mean that you go around happy, happy when things are happening and things are a little tough, but in your inner soul to have that peace and that joy that only God can give. If I'm really going to grow in faith, I have to wait patiently because God is not going to snap his fingers to give an answer to my every prayer. Maybe we need to pray not only for what we want and hope for, but also to say, God, I need you to increase my faith, even through the difficulties and struggles of life, because I know you're with me. I know some of you are going through some tough times right now, and you're not alone. If you're going through that kind of a time, then you can pray, Father, help me learn to rejoice and trust in you, because I know you're in control. I know I'm not alone. I know that you have a purpose, and I know that you will give me the strength to make it through. So I'm going to rejoice, not that this is happening, but that because I know you're with me while it's happening. A few years ago, I had a close friend who was dying of cancer. It was a very bad, painful, ugly cancer. But she started every day by saying, This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I was comforted by her strength and by knowing that God's resurrection power was with her. Human nature demands an immediate, uh, human nature demands an immediate response to the pressures we're compelled to face. We are uncomfortable, aren't we, that we may be required to have a problem with or to suffer. We might have to wait for God's answer when we've asked for his intervention. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when we are prone to demanding an immediate intervention. You know, we live in a world that expects things to happen now. I suppose it's inevitable that we'd be disquieted when things don't move according to our expectation for a quick resolution. In a world with immediate news reports flooding our monitors via the Internet, microwave meals, how about instant soda stream drinks? It's almost impossible not to have expectations of immediate answers to our pleas. 
Should we be forced to wait on God? Sometimes we question whether God even loves us. We don't relish the thought of being required to endure difficulties. We can't imagine experiencing opposition or that we'll be called upon to have pain. We don't want to hurt. We want a pain-free life with all the pleasures that accompany that. We are conditioned by our world to expect that anyone who loves us would be would would be immediately available to help us in our time of need. The problem with this thinking is that we make ourselves the center of the world. So we conclude that if God loves us, he'll be immediately available to bail us out when we're experiencing problems. One major problem in thinking in this manner is that we can ima- begin to imagine we can dictate how God is to answer. We certainly aren't prepared to permit ourselves to believe that suffering may be within the will of God. If we suffer, we think God's angry with us. Vast movements of the religious world today teach that God will not allow the person with great faith to experience suffering. Grief should not attend our way, according to the theology taught in many churches today. And you know, it's really sad because that's putting the blame on you. If you had enough faith, you wouldn't have cancer. If your faith was strong enough, you could overcome this. And that's not what God's word tells us. God gives us grace. God gives us resurrection power. It's a relatively common perception among Christians that if they're experiencing sorrow or deep waters, then God's deserted him or ceased caring for them. We know nothing could be further from the truth. Every reading of that account that is before us will confirm that sometimes our suffering is for God's glory. When Jesus finally arrived in Bethany, the the family of Lazarus was long past having hope. Lazarus was dead, buried in his grave sealed. He'd been dead for four days. He'd been wrapped and prepared for the grave. But thank God for the power of resurrection. He may not answer our cry or bring a deliverance in our time, but he will come through when the time is right. Jesus was four days late in answering the prayer of Mary and Martha. He was four days late in healing Lazarus and bringing him to life. He was four days later than the hope of anybody who was there. Now I'm going to share something personal here. My husband was on hospice, and he knew his time was very short. When he heard the song that we played earlier, Four Days Late, it touched his heart. He knew he would not be healed in time. He knew he was dying. But he felt that God was in control, that even though God might be four days late for him, he was okay because he was in God's hands. So this song and story mean a lot to me. I even played that song at his funeral. In the words of the song we heard about Lazarus and Jesus, when he's four days late and all hope is gone, Lord, we don't understand why you've waited so long. But his way is God's way. It's not yours or mine. And isn't it great when he's four days late? He's still on time. Jesus was four days late, but he's still on time. Would you pray with me? 
Father, through it all, through it all, he showed up right on time. Four days late, but he's still on time. Thank you for Jesus as he's with us as we go through the trials and challenges of life. Help us to wait upon the Lord and help us renew our strength. Let us rise up on wings like eagles. Help us to run and not be wearied, to walk and not faint. Help us to grow our faith so that we know even if you're four days late, you're still on time. Amen.